you will have found Psalm 46. We're entering uh, another season. You may have noticed it's got colder and darker. Did you notice that? I got up this morning and I was cold and I thought, what's happened? Something's happened. Then I remember that it happened every year. Uh, it's called autumn. Not my favorite time of year, I have to say. I know some people love the change of colors and all the rest of it, and uh, that's lovely. But for me, it's just like, well, everything just dies. And I'm looking forward to the spring uh, and the warmth. But uh, God willing, we might, not, uh, we might get a bit more before the end of the year, before the season turns completely. We're entering a new, ser- a new uh, kind of season of church life, a new season of the year. And we're going to start a new sermon series in a few weeks' time when Lex has been and when Guy has been. And we're going to be looking at what kind of church do we want to be part of. I wonder if you have things in your heart that you think, I want to be part of a church that, and then you fill in what that might mean. Maybe we should do that, ask you the question. I want to be part of a church, and then you fill in what you feel God's, what's in your heart, what God's put in your heart for the church. And we're going to be looking over the next months about what sort of church does God want us to be. And we're going to kick that off today a little bit. This is something of a Vision Sunday. And in that, we may not, what I'm doing is bringing to you something that I feel God is saying to us. Actually, it's quite pictorial today. It's a a picture language kind of sermon. What is it that God wants us to be, particularly in this next season, this next year together? As I say, we're going to carry that through in a sermon series. But I want to kick that off this morning. Psalm 46, I'm going to read from verse 4, says this. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is with her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the Bible is not like any other book that we find. Lord, it's holy. It's from you. It's, it's different. And Father, we pray that from your word you would speak to us this morning. Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to be changed in your presence. Come upon each of us, I pray. Amen. Amen. You can't switch on your TV, switch on Netflix or Now TV or Sky, whatever it is, without some hapless celebrity being parachuted into some kind of middle of nowhere kind of island with a penknife and a toothpick and being told that they have to survive for six weeks or something. Have you watched those shows? I know you've watched them. They're everywhere. You can't get away from them. Whether it's Celebrity Island with Bear Grylls with all the swearing, which he did apologize for apparently, which I thought was very nice of him, or whether you, whether you found yourself marooned, naked and afraid, or with Ed Stafford in some uh, kind of, uh, looks like some lunar landscape somewhere in the middle of nowhere or whether it's even running wild with our old friend Bear Grylls. You can't get away from these places, these, these shows, which are kind of a bit survival, a bit celebrity, a bit reality show. But they all start the same way. They all start with finding themselves in some sort of hostile territory, and then they begin to try and make a life. And it seems, and I read a few books on this, it seems that you, start with, you have to start with three things if you're going to survive, if you're going to thrive. And those three things are water and shelter and food. And pretty much in that order, actually. Few people argue the the case, but mostly it's water, shelter, food. First comes water. Is there any water? 
is a big question if you are going to be marooned. In fact, it's a big question for most of us most of the time. But we have such incredible systems in our homes that actually, is there any water, is easily answered. You switch on the tap and out it comes. We are very fortunate, but it's also quite peculiar in the history of the world. And in fact, even on the planet today, it's not everyone who has that advantage. So for many in the world today, is there any water is a huge question. And not just if they're trying to survive, but actually they're trying to live day by day. Is there water? Is there any water? In fact, if you are marooned somewhere, the question of is there water is even more complex. Because it's not just any water. Uh, often if they're on an island, they're surrounded by sea. Of course, you can't drink that. So is there any fresh water? And then is the water pure to drink? And it seems that the, the kind of holy grail of is there any water is running water. Running fresh water. So the question might well be, is there a river? Is there a river would be the question that you would ask yourselves, and you've probably seen it asked on these shows over the months and years. Is there a stream? Is there water? If there is, then we can start with the business of finding food and shelter. We can start with the business of life, but if there is no water, then we are going to struggle immediately. In fact, I think the rules, and I've, you show I've read the books, I think it's three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food, something like that. That's about all we can manage. So is there water? You've got a few days to find some. Very quickly, you're going to be in trouble if there isn't. But once that water source is found, as I said, the business of life can begin. The Bible contains throughout the Scripture, beginning to end, a number of pictures, a number of metaphors that help the reader understand something of who God is. The Bible actually is what theologians tell us is called progressive revelation. In other words, you'll get a picture early on in the Bible, and as the Bible develops and the story develops, so the picture carries more and more meaning. And ultimately, pretty much all those pictures are pointing towards Jesus. Did you know that? Jesus is the secret of the Bible. I hope you know that. Often you'll pick up a paperback book maybe or in a, in a Christian bookshop or it'll be in some Christian magazine saying, this is the secret of the Bible. And it'll be, if it's anything other than Jesus, just toss it to one side. That Jesus is the secret revealed. That's who he is. He is the secret of the Bible. He's who it's about, beginning to end, middle, the whole subject, everything. It's all about him. And many of these pictures show us something of who he is and who uh, we can know him to be. We have the picture of a city which develops throughout the Bible. And we see that early on in Scripture, and that builds and builds through Jerusalem to Jesus himself, and then on towards something of his return of a new city coming down out of heaven, which is the completed and final work of Jesus in redeeming the whole cosmos and drawing all things together under him. So the, the city travels through the Bible, uh, many different stories referring back to a city. There is a picture of a tree there too. We see a tree in the Garden of Eden, don't we? And then we see that developing all the way through. And even in references like Jesus being a vine, we see there's a picture of us drawing strength from somewhere else like a tree would do. And today, I want us to look at one of, one of those metaphors. That is, of course, the river. There is a river, it says in the psalm that we read. But that picture travels with us throughout Scripture. 
It starts way back in Genesis. Turn if you can. It probably would pop up behind me, but turn if you can to Genesis chapter 2, where we first see a river in the whole Bible. The first river that's mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 2. The Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, it says in verse 9 of Genesis 2. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Those trees, again, we know all about some of those trees. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. God had created a planet which rivers flowed in. And that river was watering something that he had made. It's a very primitive picture in many ways. But it's also a picture that's very easy to understand. Any generation, any culture gets it. The survivalists, they, they understand it. We can grasp it, even with our hot and cold running water. We get it. There's a river, and it's good, and it brings life. And that picture, it builds throughout the Bible. When the Israelites, remember last year we were looking at Moses leading them through a desert. A desert is a place without much water. And even in the desert, God created rivers that came often in unusual ways, in miraculous ways, uh, but actually it fed and watered God's people. And in Psalm 105, the psalmist is reflecting back on what God did for the Israelites in the middle of a desert. And in Psalm 105, 39 says this, he spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire, giving them light in the night. They asked, and he brought them quail. He fed them well with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed like a river in the desert. And that was practically true. That actually happened as historical truth for the Israelite people. They received water from God in a desert. But actually, it begins to build a picture of God supplying water in a desert, something incredibly emotive. We read in Psalm 1, don't we, the man who's planted by the streams of water, drawing from the, the strength from the river, being fruitful in season. I guess the biggest and most dramatic outworking of these pictures in the Old Testament are with Isaiah and Ezekiel, two of the, my, uh, the major prophets of the Old Testament. They take that idea, that simple idea of the river, and then through uh, their prophetic gift, they develop it for the people of Israel to understand more about who God is and what God is about and what he is doing. And so in Isaiah 41, we read this in verse 18, I will make Rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. If you've ever seen any kind of National Geographic pictures of a desert where there's an unexpected rainfall, you'll know that the transformation is quick and dramatic. Suddenly, where there seemed to be no life at all, life springs up almost miraculously. And you could go to parts of the world and experience that now. You would see rain falling in what seemed like parched and dead ground, and suddenly life springs up. And Isaiah is saying, that's what, God's like. that's what it's like when God comes. When God comes to a nation, or when God comes to a people, expect that kind of life to break out amongst you. That's what it's like. And God is teaching them through their experiences, and now through the prophets, what to expect from God. What should we expect to happen when God 
turns up. The, the biggest and most dramatic of all of these metaphor pictures uh, is here in Ezekiel 47. You may well be familiar with it. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet. He was taken off to exile along with most of the uh, uh, Israelites. And he, so he was taken out of his own country and he was taken to Babylon. And for, for many, many years, for generations, they were, they were in exile. And yet they remained to be a, a people, a cohesive people together. And of course, they longed for their own country again. Their hope was that one day they would return to their country. And it must have been desperate as the years passed, the, would the hopes fade? Would it be that they would lose hope that one day God would bring them back? And Ezekiel tells a story, a, a prophetic picture story. And I'll read it to you. I'll read it. It's a, it's a little bit long. It's a, about 12 verses, but let me read it to you in Ezekiel 47. So this is written to, from God through Ezekiel to a exiled people. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. This is a vision he's seeing. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate, facing east. The water was trickling from the south side. And as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. Then he led me through the water and it was ankle deep. He measured off another, another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to my waist. He measured off, measured off another thousand. Now the water, uh, the, the water that I couldn't cross because the water had risen and it was deep enough to swim in. A river no one could cro cross. I asked, he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to, uh, to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, the water flows towards the eastern region and goes down uh, into the Arabah and then towards the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live there wherever the, the, the river flows. There were large numbers of fish there because the water that flows there makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. The fish, fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi and from, uh, from En Elgam. There will be places for spreading nets. There will be fish of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on the banks of this river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every morning they will bear fruit. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows on them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Quite a long passage, but it's a picture of water that's coming out from the throne, out from the temple. Of course, they didn't have churches. They had one temple, and they believed and in fact, the truth of it was that God lived in that temple. That's what it was like for those people. God dwelt in one place. Now we believe God comes and fills all of us, and we'll talk about that a bit later uh, in, this, in these days. But in those days, he lived in one place, and out from that very special, precious presence of God came this water. And as it flowed out in the picture that Ezekiel is seeing prophetically, it just brings life wherever it goes. And some of that's understandable. We get some of that, don't we? We can grasp some of it fairly clearly because we know what rivers do. And we've said that it's a, it's a picture that we can all understand. 
Rivers make things grow. Of course they do. I actually had the privilege of growing up a few feet away from a river. I know all about rivers. And sometimes the river would flood, and sometimes it would almost dry up, and we would swim in it and fish in it and boat on it uh, to our heart's content. So I know what a river's like, but so do we. All of us do. And then we see the picture develops even further. There's more to this river than just the ordinary bringing of life. Because this river has something remarkable and miraculous about it. This river turns salt water to fresh water, and it does it in the Dead Sea. Who's been to the Dead Sea? I bet some of you have. Yes, a few of you have. Nothing lives there, does it? Nothing lives there. You can't even stay in the water very long. Such is the intensity of the minerals and the salt, particularly that's in the water. You sort of float in an eerie fashion on the water because it's so heavy with minerals. Here in this picture, the Dead Sea is becoming fresh. Life is breaking out where no life could possibly live. It's impossible for life to live in the Dead Sea, and yet this river flows into it. Life breaks out everywhere. Incredible. We know too, and I would say my own story of a river is, would play this truth out. Trees do well next to rivers, and if tree gets enough water, when the season comes around, guess what? Fruit comes. Wonderful. And uh, we can go and pick it and eat it if it's good for food. But here, there's something more, isn't there? Because it says every month it's producing fruit. Every month. That's just not possible. It's not possible. It's not in the way of nature that we understand it, that there could be fruit every month. It would it'd have to take a year's cycle at least, or maybe half a year at the very most, for there to produce fruit. And yet here in this picture we find that because this water is feeding those trees, their fruit comes every month. And then even more than that, the trees become miraculously fruitful, but also more than that, the leaves, which I guess are good for some things, we find are there for healing. There's miraculous healing power. Why? Because their roots are in this river that comes out of the presence of God. A picture we can understand, and yet a picture that develops into something that is spiritual, miraculous, something beyond even the experience of the Israelites who had seen God create water in a desert. They hadn't seen that kind of miraculous power up until that point. I told you before, didn't I, that the secret of the Bible is Jesus, the central figure, the place everything is pointing, the highlights, the underlining, everything else. It's Jesus. And Jesus refers to this image and to this picture. I have to give you a little bit of background information first. Every year, uh, the Israelites would have a number of celebrations. In fact, uh, quite a lot of their year was taken up celebrating. Quite a lot of time was spent not working, but having weeks for festivals. It must have been quite fun, actually. And sometimes they'd have to go somewhere special. Often they'd have to do things uh, that were special. And often those festivals were to remind themselves and to remind anyone watching, and particularly to teach their children, something and some of the things that God had done throughout their history, all sorts of festivals throughout the year. We know something of this, and the festival I'm going to refer to, actually, we've kind of carried it on a little bit, though maybe not so much this day, because... The festival that Jesus is going to begin uh, to interrupt was called the Festival of Booths. And for us, that's a bit like a harvest festival. Do, you, do, you, do anyone still celebrate a harvest festival? Does it happen in schools? 
When I was young, I grew up in a small town. In fact, I grew up in a village. And in that village, we all brought our tins. And you just had a pile of spaghetti hoops on the front pew. And I don't know where they all went. I assume someone was overloaded with spaghetti hoops and beans at some point. But the point was, we were being thankful for the harvest. We're quite disconnected, aren't we, from the production of food. Like we're disconnected from where our water comes from. It's quite distant from us. And so our thankfulness at the harvest, I guess, lessens over time. What God didn't want was the Israelites to become independent. He didn't want them to feel that they could do things in their own strength. And so these festivals reminded them that God provided, that God brought the increase, that God was the God of the harvest. And they would celebrate. And in this festival of booths, a bit like the harvest festival, they would literally build a booth. They would build something outside. Fortunately, their weather was better than ours, and then they would go and live in it for a few days. Would it be fun, particularly if you were kids? If you came to West Point, you would experience something like that. I saw some of your tents, and it was quite a lot like that, I thought. Uh, A bit like, let's go and live in a tent, and uh, you think, well, why would we do that? I heard someone say once, yes, but you know, camping runs, it runs in our family. And I said to them, well, yeah, camping, it it ran in everyone's family, and that's why they invented houses. I just wonder whether camping in this country really goes... Sorry if you're a camper, I'm sure it's, uh, it's good for something. Anyway, that's what they did. The weather was warm. They would build their booths and celebrate the festival of booths. And of course, it had something of a spiritual aspect to it. They were coming up to the temple and being thankful to God. He was always the focus of their celebrating and their remembering. And here in John and chapter 7, we find Jesus at that particular festival. He, would, uh, he was uh, following the traditions, of course. He was, he was a Jew, and so he followed the traditions of the day, of the religion around him, of the faith that he'd grown up in. And let me read you this, because Jesus is about to change everything, as he always does. We were singing that earlier, but he's about to do it in dramatic fashion right here in John 7. On the last and greatest day of the feast, we just talked about the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow out from within them. By this he meant the spirit through whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. You need to get this about the festival of booths. Each day during that festival, the priest would get a jug of water from the pool of Siloam and carry it up into the temple and pour it over the altar. And and the water would flow down through the temple. And that was part of their celebrating, part of their remembering what God had done for them in the desert, but also remembering Ezekiel's prophecy too, and Isaiah's as well, remembering that there was a future fulfillment of that promise to come. And so each day as the festival ticked by, this symbolic act of pouring water on the altar and then it flowed down. Imagine it flowing down through the middle of the, of the room here and everyone would have seen and, and you couldn't help but remember and think about what it would mean. That's what symbol is for. It points to a greater truth. And Jesus stands in the midst of that happening and says this, if you're thirsty, if you understand something about this water, Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of him will flow living water. 
Jesus said, yes, here's a picture of something. He says, I am what that picture points to. It's me. I've come now. And actually, in the life of Jesus, we would see something of life being brought out of death as he healed people, as he raised people from death. We saw, just as the picture in in Ezekiel was, that the fresh water would turn the salty water fresh and life would break out. So it was with Jesus. Life breaking out on the right and on the left. And yet Jesus said something even more incredible. And John helpfully commentates on his own gospel and explains more to us. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, said Jesus, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow out from within them. The water came from the presence of God. That was the picture, that was the image. And when Jesus says it's going gonna, it's gonna to flow from within you, what he's promising is he's saying, I'm going to come and make my home in you. Just like historically, the only home for the presence of God had been the temple. Jesus said, that's all going to change. I'm going to make my home in you. And that, of course, is, uh, we, we tend to apply biblical language individually, but actually the culture, the Hebrew culture would always have applied things more corporately than we do. And so when we look at each other, we realize that that, that living water, that life-giving water is to flow from within you. Why? Because you're great people? Sorry, guys, no. But because God comes and lives in you by his Holy Spirit. And actually, John tells us exactly that. He said, by this he meant the Spirit, whom they would later receive. The Spirit would live in them and flow out from them. This water, you see, is not just so that if you're thirsty, what a relief, I can get some water for myself. Isn't that great? Well, well, yes, it is great, but it was never just for them. It was never just for you. It's never just for an individual. It's always corporate, and it's always for the healing of the nations. That's where the picture leads us. It's so much more than just, isn't it great that we now know something of God? Isn't that nice? And I get to live my life knowing that I'm loved. Yes, that's a good thing, but there's always more. There's always a greater fulfillment. The river always flows further. It's always looking for somewhere salty, somewhere dead to bring life. Brothers and sisters, this is a picture of who we should be and who we are becoming as a church and a community together in Bristol. That living water which God has blessed us with is not just for us. It needs to flow out. It must flow out. That's what a river is. A river that doesn't flow anywhere, folks. Not a river. Something else. Not a river. There is a river. Isn't that good news? For some of you individually, you you need to know that this morning. Guys, there is a river. There is a river. It's okay. If you feel like actually your situation, individually, personally, do you know what? I feel like I'm one of these celebrities. I feel like I've just been dumped in the middle of nowhere. I don't know where I'm coming or going. The good news, guys, is there's a river. There's a river. There's a river for you. There's a river for your family. Whatever situation you find yourself, you might think, I am parched. I am just, I'm moments away. I'm three days in to my three days without water. There's a river. The Bible tells us so. But you might also be someone who realizes, yes, I I know there's a river, and I enjoy the river. And God would say, that river, do you know what, not just for you, it's supposed to flow out, 
It's supposed to flow on. It's supposed to bring life. It's supposed to flow, in fact, all the way, it says, to the healing of the nations. That's astonishing. Astonishing. The nations get to enjoy the goodness of that life-giving water. What Jesus said here was utterly revolutionary. He's saying all of this history, everything that you've lived through, all the experiences in the desert, all the hundreds of years of struggling to follow this God, now it's in me, says Jesus. Now it's me, and I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you that living water to live in you so that you become that freshness, that life, that healing beyond yourself and on to the nations. I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be part of a church like that. I want to be part of a church that knows, where individuals know, yes, there's a river, but actually that river's not just for them. It's for the poor, the needy. It's for those far away. It's for those who don't know that they're loved. It's for those who think they are. It's for those living in hopeless despair and those who are very happy, thank you very much. It's for them too. It's for those near. It's for those very far away. I want to be part of a church that does things because I believe that I have a supply of water that is miraculous and life-giving and it's not just for me. And I want to invite you to be part of that too as we adventure together in this next phase together. So when we gather to pray, we are gathering to Jesus, saying, you are the supply. It's you. It's coming from you. I need to gather to your presence because I need that supply topped up in me. I need to be reminded to have my faith strengthened, that I believe that I'm part of the answer that God is giving to our city and to our nation and beyond. And when we gather together to outreach, and I hope your names are on the board, that we believe that it's not just, well, I'm just kind of screwing up my faith a little bit and hoping, no, there's a river. What you're doing is what Jesus and his disciples were called to do and what those for centuries have done. They're sharing what they believe with those around them, trusting that more than just what's in their words is going to bring healing because God is with you. We're going to be a church who raises leaders. And we're going to talk about that over the next months. We're going to be a church that raises leaders. If you feel called to leadership, and one of the things that the church lacks across the nation and the nations is leaders, people who will shoulder responsibility on behalf of others. That's what a leader does. Shoulders responsibility on behalf of others. We need leaders, and we're going to be raising leaders and gathering leaders together and training people. Many are off on the uh, commission training. That's wonderful. We're going to do stuff as a church as well in order to raise leaders. We're going to be a church that serves the city. We are going to serve the poor of this city. We're going to do it. Now, we're going to start, uh, and many of you are doing it already, I know. We're going to start in a way that we we can manage, and then we will grow those things as God leads us on. We're going to be a church that believes in the miraculous power of God. We are a church who believes in the miraculous power of God. It's wonderful to be able to say that. Not wouldn't be true of every church. Wonderfully, many, many people in this city believe that. Many churches hold that in faith, that God heals. When Lex comes, Lex will help us. Lex is actually a great evangelistic gift. If you feel maybe you're an evangelist, maybe that you'd, be, you'd like to be someone who's 
who actually sees people come to faith and to be saved. If you feel that beyond just the ordinary, well, I think it's a good thing for me to do. If you feel that's a calling, then get close to Lex. Uh, when, when someone gift like that comes amongst us, what you find is evangelistic gift kind of pops up here, there, and everywhere. So get close to him and also believe. And I've seen Lex pray for the sick many times and seen them healed. I used to work for Lex when I lived in South Africa and it was wonderful and privileged to see God use him many times to, uh, to heal people. We're going to be a church of more sites. We're a church of two sites. We're going to be a church of more sites than that. We need to reach more places in this city. That means more of us need to move. More of us need to be ready to go when God asks us to go. We're going to be a church that reaches into the east of the city. We've prayed a number of times in fish ponds. We're going to do that again. We're going to invite those who feel called to that part of the city to gather and pray. And we're going to do that frequently in the next season. We'll let you know more about that and we get dates and times in the coming days. Time's beaten us. But you may be right now just feeling like you're on day three of no water. There's a river for you this morning. There's a river. It's okay, there's a river. You may be someone who knows that there is fresh water for you and you are longing to be more effective in bringing that miraculous, healing, life-giving water to others. There's a river for you as well. I'm going to close now, but I want to ask that we, uh, let's have the band back. Is that okay? And for us, those two groups at least, and anyone else who feels God is speaking to them, if you could respond fairly quickly when the band begins to play and we sing. Let's come to the front. I want to pray for you. What that does, it just helps you. It helps in terms of you telling somebody else, God has spoken to me and I want to do something about it. But actually... We believe, and in the New Testament we see it many times, there is great blessing in the laying on of hands. Someone just comes, puts a hand on your shoulder and asks God to come and strengthen what he's speaking to you about and to finish the work that he's begun in you.